Well, welcome to The Crossing. Hope you guys have had a great Thanksgiving week and you guys are not in too deep of a food coma still. I'm still recovering. I ate as many desserts as I possibly could. Some, some of you are looking at me with judging eyes. It's fine. I feel fine about it. I have no guilt. But hey, well, welcome. We are so excited. We are wrapping up our third week of our optics series today, concluding uh, kind of our journey through the life of Joseph and exploring the life lessons that, that we're pulling out. It's really kind of discovering uh, what is shaping our view of God and our view of the world around us. As we've seen a lot through Joseph's life, we've journeyed quite a bit and we've discovered quite a lot. Uh, two weeks ago, we started, Lee talked about Joseph's beginning story, and really Joseph came from a dysfunctional family, uh, and, and so dysfunctional that his brothers basically despised him, wanted to kill him, threw him in a pit, and then ultimately sold him. So when I say dysfunction, that's the amount of dysfunction I'm talking about. Some of you are thinking, well, that sounds like Thanksgiving. So you're like, I can totally relate. But we walked away with a deeper understanding from week one was this. We have a great hope because we have a great God. And our circumstances don't change that. And so that's what we walked away with week one. Week two, last week, uh, we basically we went from Joseph being in prison to being in charge in the palace. And he had, he had power and prestige and wealth and all of that that comes along with that. But what we saw take place is we saw Joseph begin to leverage that power for God's greater good. And we began to see that Joseph was fully rooted in whose he was rather than the circumstances he found himself in. And so as we encounter Joseph in week three, this final movement of the Joseph story, we kind of begin to see he regains his sight, the full perspective, everything comes into full sight, and he lands on this powerful conclusion so we're moving in that direction. Basically, it's like he's going to put on this perfect pair of glasses. Those of you that wear glasses, if you have even vision correction surgery, it's, it's that moment where everything becomes crystal clear. That's where we're heading. And so this vision begins to open him up to God's grander vision of what's going on. But I want to push pause on this story for a moment because I need to give you a little bit of context because a few weeks back, uh, they gave me this story and they said, hey, we want you to talk about Joseph. And I'm like, great, good. So I started getting into the passage, and, and here, here's what I began to understand. I've had a pair of glasses on the past few months that have probably been pretty clouded and pretty foggy. So I'll give you a little bit of that context because it's going to basically play out in this story because I had to ask some very difficult questions of this story. I had to go at this story and go, you know what, this time it's different. Typically, I'm not a very transparent person. Those people that know me or are close to me will often uh, joke that I have no feelings or emotions. And uh, those of you in the room that know me are like, yeah, that seems about right. But I think for the past year, I'd say, I'd say there's been a lot that's clouded my vision, lots of things that, that, I, that have hit me that I didn't see coming. Uh, huge moments of wrestling through hurt and loss and identity. It's just this stuff. And I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. For full context, it was six months ago today, uh, my family, this all makes sense, my family, we lost my brother. Uh, 
And so I don't, I don't often talk about it. As, as like I said, I'm, I'm pretty close. But I, I thought today was probably the right moment, like group therapy with a thousand of your closest friends. What's better than the time, what better time to talk about it, right? So I say that because I want you to have a deeper understanding that I didn't approach this story from the sense of, hey, I just want to write this beautiful message and I just want it to land really well. And I'll just be honest, it took me a long time to sit in this passage and figure out what on earth I was going to do with it. Because I was like, my head and my heart were matching up with the, the conclusions I was landing on. But I'll say this. It was through this scripture that I really began to gain my vision back. And so uh, this to you today is simply an invitation into the inner workings of my head and my heart of the last few weeks. So I invite you to take this journey with me. And we're going to be spending our first movement of, of Joseph's story in Genesis 42. So if you have your Bibles or you have the Bible app or if you want to watch the screens, we're going to be starting in Genesis 42. And this drops us right into the climax of the drama is beginning to unfold for Joseph in the story. This is where the story really takes an interesting twist. This first movement is called Dreamer. It starts in Genesis 42, verse 1. He says this, When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just, I love this, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some food for us so that we may live and not die. Just pause for a moment. You're like, that's great dad wisdom. Wonderful words from father. Verse 3, then, the ten, then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now, let's, let's pause right this moment real quick. Joseph has been separated from his family for nearly 20 years at this point. And what is beginning to unfold and what we're heading toward is this encounter of Joseph with his brothers. Not an encounter that Joseph had ever anticipated having again, but here it was coming. And Joseph had no idea what was about to happen. And in all reality, the brothers had no clue what was about to happen either because, after all, they had sold him into slavery. They didn't know where he was anymore. They had no idea if he was alive or if he was dead. But all they knew is they needed to go to Egypt because that's where the food was. So off they go. Pick back up in verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all of its people, so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. Now, catch this. You'll learn this later, but Joseph was actually speaking through an interpreter. He was speaking in Egyptian to his brothers, so they didn't understand what he was saying. And they didn't recognize him, and rightly so. It had been so long that they didn't know who he was. Here's the response. From the land of Canaan, they replied. Although Joseph recognized him, his brothers did not recognize him. But remember, these are the same guys that threw him in a pit and were really going to leave him for dead, but then they saw the opportunity to make a little money, and so they sold him. And here they were. And did you catch that? They bowed down when they saw him. You think of that moment, you're like in Joseph's shoes, you're seeing them bow down, and you're going, that's right, 
bow down. That's right, you owe me this. But Joseph doesn't know what to do to them. He doesn't know, and he's not in this moment of compassion, right? Because, again, he yells at them in Egyptian. He doesn't use the native language that his brothers would have understood. He's wrestling. But what would end up unfolding over the next few moments of this story was Joseph will go on to weep seven times. And I'm not saying he, like, goes over and sniffles. No, no. Scripture recounts that he weeps seven times. I mean, he had buried all this emotion over time, all the pain he had suppressed. Many of us can relate, right? You've been abused, neglected, forgotten, betrayed, hurt. You've dealt with disappointment, with loss. You've longed for this moment of justice or revenge. You've longed to be in the position of Joseph because the hurt and the pain has left scars And it's clouded our vision at times to the point where we can't really see what's happening. We can't make sense of what's going on around us and everything else seems to fall apart. I mean, grasp the gravity of the situation for Joseph in this moment. This is the moment he had his chance. He could have struck revenge at any moment. But think for a moment. When his brothers bowed down, this was a recall of the dream Now, for those of you that may have missed two weeks ago, and just recall really quickly the dream. When he was 17 years old, old, he had two dreams. And in those two dreams, basically what had happened was his brothers and his family, his entire family, bowed down to him. They bowed to him. And here it was, right in front of him, his brothers show up in his life once more, and there they are, bowing. He's like, ha ha. My dream came true. You suckers are bowing down to me. But as you can see what is unfolding here, it didn't sit right with Joseph. But hang on to that dream. It's going to come in real handy here in just a little bit. 42 verse 9. Then he remembered his dreams about them. And he yelled at them, you are spies, you have come to know where our land is unprotected. Like, again, he makes this statement that doesn't make any sense because he doesn't know what to do. Because now the dream is playing out right in front of him. The next movement, Genesis 42, 17 through 24 is where we're moving. It's this, it's payback. Now, I know some of you, you see that and you're like, yeah, payback, that's right, that's what needs to happen, that's what I would do. Naturally, I would pay them back. I owe them. But Joseph, he wasn't okay. So what plays out of the next few moments is Joseph begins to argue with his brothers through an interpreter, accusing them of various crimes and just trying to get at them because, again, he can't make sense of what's happening. He's not sure. And so here's what he does. 42 verse 17, he says, this is what he does, and he puts them all in custody for three days. You're like, yeah, put them in jail. Leave them there. Because they left you, they abandoned you, they sold you, they almost killed you. Get rid of them, put them in jail. But Joseph wasn't done. Because it says he left them for three days. 
He pulls them back out, and then he gives them instructions that they must follow in order to prove that they are who they said they were. Again, he knows full well who they are. He's just messing with them because he can't make up his mind yet because, again, he's been living in this world of tunnel vision, and now everything has come into full focus, and he's like, I don't know what to do with all this. I can't make sense of all these things that are playing out. But here's what happens. You read this encounter, and you have this moment where you go, get revenge. Get it. We think sometimes you let them off easy. You let some of them go. You send them away. What is that? Capture this for a moment. We wrestle through this whole idea of revenge. And some of us, we would say, well, revenge is justice. Let me clarify. Revenge and justice are not the same thing. Revenge is emotional. Justice is rational. Revenge is personal. Justice is impartial. Revenge is about cycles. Justice is about closure. Revenge is about retaliation. Justice is about restoring balance. Revenge is vindictiveness. Justice is vindication. When we allow revenge to swirl around in our minds, it is basically we feel agitated, restless, scheming, fuming, consumed. It steals our joy and it clouds our vision and ultimately takes us prisoner. And God has a higher calling on us and Joseph was living in that tension. It's this moment where he could easily exact revenge on his brothers and no one else would have even known about it. Because these people in Egypt, they had no idea who these people were. But here's what happened. And this rocked his world. 42 verse 21. They said, this is the brothers. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Great brother reply, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now he must give an accounting for, this, for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. This moment blew his mind. He wept. He had to turn away and weep because now all of a sudden he's getting a glimpse into who they are and the struggle that they have had with what they did to him. It wasn't as though they walked through life thinking, ha, I got away with that, no problem, nothing wrong now. And the question that Joseph must have been battling is this, how do I move forward? How do I move forward and not just drop the hammer on these guys and just wipe them off the face of the planet? But in the moments that would follow, Joseph would orchestrate a plan that would ultimately lead his entire family to live with him in Egypt. Ultimately, that's what he was after. But the same question goes on. It's like, what is he going to do with them when they get there? What will he do? Will he pay them back? Is he just wanting to get them all there and go, well, you all forgot about me, but I didn't forget. The next movement, Genesis 45, revealed. Revealed. Imagine this scene. 
Here you are with your brothers. This back and forth turmoil. You have your moment. You have your chance. You can get revenge. No one would think twice. No one would judge you for doing it. What do you do? We want to get back at those who have wronged us. We want to get revenge. But it doesn't sit well with us, especially as a Christ follower. It shouldn't sit well with us. But here's what happens next. Genesis 45, 1. The brothers are back. They're now back face to face. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So, now, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it is to save, the live, save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He was able to look past their actions and actually see who they were. Could you imagine the look on the brothers' faces when all of a sudden you're like, that's Joseph? Oh, no. It's that oh, no moment. And they're terrified because they realize all they have done to him, and now he has ultimate authority to do whatever he wants, and no one can stop him. The scene continues to unfold in verse 14. It says, then he, Joseph, threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Imagine this scene. What an emotional moment. After 20 years, here they are embracing and weeping and talking for the very first time. After all this has played out. Put yourself in his shoes. I don't know that I could put my arms around those guys in that moment. I mean, I'm that guy that cheers for the guy who gets pulled over who just raced past me on the freeway. Right? I, I am that petty guy. I'm like, yeah, you got it. And you just drive on by. And here's Joseph. His brothers have betrayed him, left him for dead, sold him off, ultimately threw him away. And he's draping his arms over them, kissing them, and weeping. And the reality is many of us react from pain, and we lash out, and we look for that revenge. And we would have been okay if Joseph had done the very same thing. And I think if we're honest, some of us wanted him to do that because we wanted to be validated for feeling the very same way towards those who have hurt us. We just want to know it's okay. But when we remain in the pit, our vision is narrowed and our clarity is lost and tunnel vision sets in. We can't see what's ahead or what's around. And I love this, the next movement, Genesis 50. We fast forward a number of years 
down the road, the full family is now living in Egypt. And things begin to come into focus. And right after Joseph's father Jacob dies, his brothers go into panic mode and they start thinking, oh no, dad's dead, Joseph's now going to get his revenge on us. And so they go ahead and they craft this letter to give to Joseph as though their father had written it, trying to protect themselves. I love this. Joseph sees right through this. And again, he's a super smart guy. His brothers aren't the sharpest guys, but yet here they are. So Genesis chapter 50, verse 17. This is the letter. It says, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Now hold that for a minute. This is what the brothers are trying to convince Joseph of. Like, hey, dad said to do this, so you should do this. Some of you have little brothers and sisters that used to do that. Here's what gets him. When Joseph, when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Because Joseph saw in that, his, that moment his brothers didn't get it. His brothers didn't understand the grace that he was bestowing upon them. That what was done in the past no longer affected the present and would no longer impact the future. It was over. It was gone. Verse 18, his brothers came then and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now, Joseph, being in the position he was in Egypt, could have easily been considered in the place of a god. And so the people of Egypt, they would have acknowledged that. But Joseph didn't. Remember, he, understand, he understood whose he was. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's experience were colliding in this moment. Everything that had happened was now becoming clear. Everything made sense. He was now able to look back and tie everything together and say what you intended for bad and for harm and for evil, God used for good to save many lives. So I don't hold this over you anymore. I don't want revenge. I don't need that anymore. But here's where my questions began to take over. Here's where I just didn't have this easy feeling. Like, I know all the Bible answers. I went to Bible college. I've studied the Bible most of my life, but it didn't settle with me. I had this place of deep unrest. Like, how could Joseph reach this conclusion? Like, this moment in time, he just said, all that beating up that I took and all that harm and all that betrayal and that abuse and that neglect I took, like, that's fine, and now I'm good. And God used it for good. Life doesn't always work out that way, right? It doesn't always come together in this picture-perfect moment where we have this great redemption moment where we're all crying around the circle and everybody's great and everything makes sense and everybody's like, great, good, now let's move forward. So the question I kept wrestling with was, how did he journey through all this and reach to the conclusion that God leveraged all of this 
for good. I'll tell you, it was about two weeks ago, I was laying in bed and it hit me. I spent weeks with this passage before that moment and I couldn't land anything. I couldn't get anywhere. I had no conclusion. I was like, I don't, I don't know where this is going to go. I'll, maybe I'll find some book and I'll read that and I'll just tell people that. But that wasn't it. I was laying in bed on a Monday night about two weeks ago and it literally hit me. It was the dream. It was the dream. It had always been the dream. The dream wasn't just a dream. The dream was a promise. In Scripture, when the dream happens twice in a row, it's the same dream telling the same thing. It's an indication that God is up to something. He is doing something. He did the same thing for Pharaoh. Same dream twice. Joseph, same dream twice. But here's the phrase that hit me. The exact wording as I laid there in bed, it was this. It says, in the midst of my pain, God's promises prevail. It's this lights on moment and it was so weird. I'm laying there and I'm like, that's it. That's it. All of this makes sense. Because the pain tells me to focus on the stuff up close. The pain is as though I stand in the pit and all I focus on is the wall in front of me telling me I need to stay here because if I get out of the pit, it could happen again. So I'm staying here. It's paralyzing. But promises, they fix my eyes on the author of the promise. They give me hope and they remind me that God's grander story is still being written and I still get to be a part of it. It was Joseph's dream that gave him the hope to hold on for the future. It was Joseph's dream that gave him the strength in the midst of the refinement that God was walking him through. It was Joseph's dream that told him that God was in the process of writing him in to the grander story. I mean, that was it. It was this aha moment for me. It was this awakening of, wait a second, that's it. Everything made sense. Because if I was honest, I was definitely living in the pit. And I'm great at camouflaging that stuff. Because again, my emotional approach at times is, let's dig a hole, let's bury it there, and let's just leave it. Because it's a lot easier to deal with. And I know there are many men in this room that are like, well, that makes perfect sense. Why would you do anything else? But that's where all of this came colliding for me. And so at the end of this, after that coming off of that night, I had a decision to make. I had to choose between two options. And it's this. Option one. I can remain in the pit. I can go back to the pit. I can go to the moment where it feels like I've been abandoned. I can go back to that moment where I had no joy, no hope, and I can remain there. And if you remain in the pit, if you remain in this place, you will lose your vision, you will lose your hope, you will lose any desire, and, and all of that gets sucked right out of you. It all vanishes. And you can remain there. You can. That's your choice. You can stay in the pit. But I promise you, it's as though you're putting life on pause. Or you can rely on the promise. You can rely on the promises. This is what kept Joseph moving forward. 
To be honest, this is what gave him the ability to bring all that he had gone through and see how God had woven it all together and redeemed it for his good and the good of others. Relying on God's promises will open your eyes to the fullness of God's grander story at play in your life. So here's what I'm doing to move forward. And I say it in that way because this is an ongoing process for me. This isn't, I have arrived, I have not arrived. I have not come to a full conclusion. I'll tell you that in a moment. I'll say this, three three simple tools I'm going to invite you to take part in this week with me. It's this, be in the Word. Spend time in your Bibles every day this week. Spend time in the promises of God. There are thousands of them into the scripture. If you don't know where to find them, get on Google. I tried it. It's there, okay? Get on there, write in promises of God. And then go to your Bible and read them for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You read them. They were made for you as well. The second thing I'm going to encourage you to do, journal. Journal. At the end of the day, Sit down and write down the ways that you saw God in your day, even the smallest thing, the most minute things, because what you will do with this is over time, you will go back to this and be reminded of God's hand in your life. You will begin to see where and how God moved. And that moment when the pit comes calling again and says, hey, come get back in here. It was warm and it was safe You'll go, no, 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 I have a promise for my life that is bigger than any pit and better than any pit, and I will not return to that place. The third thing I invite you to do is pray. That is your lifeline. That is your tether to the Father. That is your communication line. Pray. Have that conversation with God And I'll be honest, I was challenged with this in the midst of all I've gone through is sit down with the chair, talk to the chair. Imagine as though Jesus is sitting there in conversation with you, and I know it's very abstract and it might seem weird, and you don't like talking out loud when you're by yourself, but I promise you this, it changes the dynamic and adds a relational aspect to prayer. And for those of you that are tempted to return to the pit, you need this. So hear me. Don't go back. I want to give you a small glimpse of the promises that you will find when you go to your scripture this week. Maybe you're like Joseph and you've been hurt. Romans 12, 19 is for you. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Maybe you need this one, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I love that. I love that one. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hear that part again. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Here's a summary of a number of other ones. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. He will uphold you. He has a plan for your life. When life hurts, God is near. He will give you hope and a future. His love endures forever. He is our refuge and strong tower. Here's the one I'm holding on to. Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is basically a summary of what Joseph just said. And this is that moment I told you haven't arrived. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know how this is going to play out. To be honest, I've had some hard, long conversations with God where I've said, you told me this. You told me this. Now show me. I want to see it. But if I stay here, I'll miss it. So I've got to get up. Because the promises are bigger. So I was texting. I was texting with my dad this week, and I was just asking him lots of questions. He gave me this great verse, and I thought it really would help us land well today. Psalm 27, 13 and 14 says this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Wait on the Lord but don't wait in the pit. If you're in the pit right now, if you find yourself there, I want you to hear this. God has not forgotten you. And he's not done writing your story. In the midst of your pain, God's promises prevail. Joseph's life is a story of vision correction. Of a guy who started out wild and crazy and went through all that he journeyed through and to land in a conclusion in his life where he says God leveraged all of that for the greater good and to do far greater than I would have ever done on my own and far greater than I could have ever imagined myself being a part of because it wasn't me who did it. It was God and God has the same promise for you and for me. And God's promises were the same then as they are now and as the same they will be tomorrow. And you can rely on those. Joseph's story shows us that. And that's the promise I'm relying on. So we come to our time in the service when we want to remember God's greatest promise. It's Jesus. John 3.16, he lays out that promise for us. It's probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish, would have eternal life, life everlasting. That is God's greatest promise for your life. We enter into that time of communion where we come and we celebrate and we rejoice in that promise and I invite you today to claim that promise as your own. And maybe it's to start a relationship with Jesus. 
Is it our team in the commons? Let's do that. But this morning as our team comes and as we celebrate communion, may you remember God's promises for your life and his invitation to step in and receive those through Jesus. Let me pray for us and we'll receive communion. Father, thank you. God, your story is greater than anything we could have ever written for ourselves. And your promises are far greater than anything we could have ever dreamed up. So God, I ask that you would just meet us here. God, meet us and draw us out of the pit and give us hope for a future and give us the right vision and perspective to see you orchestrating your promises in our lives. Father, we love you. Help us to have a deeper understanding that we are known, valued, and loved by you. And you have amazing promises for our life. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.